Thank you for joining us today for the ministry of the word at Foundation Church. We pray that what you hear today will be as much of a blessing for you as it was for the people of our congregation. Remain standing. I'm going to read one verse for my text today. Sermon today is called Praise is Beautiful. Everybody say, Praise is Beautiful. Isn't that pretty? Those girls and uh, Benjamin, I believe, took that picture in Matupi in Chin State. These young girls were worshiping uh, in the service there as we were getting ready to preach. And um, those are our beautiful people that we love, our, our Myanmar friends. Psalm 145, verse 1, which will be our text, says, this it says praise ye the Lord I said 145 it's not 145 I'm sorry 147 verse 1 praise ye the Lord for it is good to sing praises unto our God for it is pleasant and praise is comely let us pray Heavenly Father, we come to the part of the service where we all long to hear you speak to us. I pray that as your word goes forth that you would begin to speak to the hearts of each one that is here, maybe through my voice or maybe through that inner voice that comes. I pray, Lord God, that you would illuminate your word, Lord, and that we would see how it applies to our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, oftentimes when we think of hearing the scripture and wanting to apply it to our lives, we think of how we may fall short and we need to straighten up, right? You ever, you know, you read the Bible like, all right, I need to straighten up. Well, this is actually not that kind of a sermon. Um, and that may happen to you today in this in the sermon. But but what is going to happen today in Psalm 147 is really something that you need to come to realize. And sometimes something that happens inside of our mind, a realization we can have can sort of color the whole world a different color. Right. And that can be a good thing. Not all. It's not always bad. Everybody say, praise is beautiful. Beauty is a very important thing. And at first glance, you might say, you know, why would you say something like that, you know, in a church that, that you know, beauty is important? Well, I'm not talking about, you know, what the fashion world says is beautiful. I'm not talking about what... You know, the world seeks after the glittering, uh, really, facade that it really isn't beautiful. I'm talking about what real beauty is here. And the reason why I said is because it's true. Beauty is a very powerful thing, and it is a very important thing. It's more important than it may seem. It's true for everyone. Believers and non-believers, people may deny it, they may even offer up exceptions to the rule, but in the end, beauty is very, very important in all of our lives. You might find it hard to believe that God is like this, but he has made us in his image, has he not? And there are some things that God finds beautiful. 
just like you. Some things that he looks at and he enjoys. And you go, can, can God really do that? Like, like is, can God? But yeah, he can. That's why we can. You ever look at something and you're just like, wow, that's beautiful. I was recently talking with uh, one of you and you brought up one of your favorite country songs and uh, my kids reminded me it wasn't actually one of you. I was talking to them about this last night. They're like, no, it's Kyle. Kyle loves that song more than any song. Uh, and, and I enjoy all kind of music, but some country music to me is the best poetry that we have in the, in the world right now. In uh, 2000. And three, uh, there's this group, which I actually thought I knew it, but I guess it wasn't. But there's this group called Lone Star. And they came out with a song that ended up being nominated for a Grammy. And it kind of fits well here. And so I wanted to read a little bit of the lyrics about us. I mean, come on, guys. Do, do you guys have things that you think are beautiful that you like to look at? Right. So there's this song called My Front Porch Looking In. So he's, he's talking about, he's been around the world, he's seen everything, but the most beautiful thing is what? Is looking inside the windows of his house at, at his own family. He said, there's a carrot top who can barely walk with a sippy cup of milk, a little blue-eyed blonde with shoes on wrong because she, she likes to dress herself, and the most beautiful girl holding both of them, and the view I love the most is my front porch looking in. I've traveled here and everywhere following my job. I've seen the paintings from the air brushed by the hand of God. The mountains and the canyon reach from sea to shining sea. But I can't wait to get back home to the one he made for me. It's anywhere I'll ever go and everywhere I've been. Nothing takes my breath away like my front porch looking in. And then he goes back into it, right? There's a carrot top, right? But he said, I see what beautiful is about when I'm looking in, not when I'm looking out. Now, I'd like to ask you a question. Is that true for you? And I, I know it's not really true for some people here. But isn't that the way it should be? And the truth is, is really the whole world becomes ugly when it's ugly in our own home and our own world and our own life, right? In fact, the beautiful things that we see out there sometimes even bring us pain. Do they not? But maybe if it isn't that way for you today, maybe the things in your life or home are not the most beautiful thing in the world for you. What we're going to see in Psalm 147 is what is true for all of us. So I'm not going to do a sermon on what, how beautiful it is to live the good, happy, beautiful life that Christians can live. Because that can be very beautiful. And God does find that beautiful. But today we're not, we're not going to talk about what you think is beautiful. We're going to talk about what God thinks is beautiful. And one of those things is you. You may not feel beautiful because... Of many, many things. But God says that you are. Now this may seem funny to you. And maybe some of you will laugh. Because you know it's true. You know, I know I'm a big guy. I know I'm overweight. I know I got not a lot of great hair going on. But I actually, 
I don't have an experience that a lot of people do. I, I know this really sounds funny, but like I actually kind of feel, I kind of feel beautiful. It's just, it's just the way it is. And, and you can laugh because it's okay. I can't help how I feel, okay? But I do kind of feel, I feel very beautiful. I feel loved. I feel loved by God. I feel loved by all of you. Uh, and, but, but I know that people that experience really, really rough things, that experience trauma, what I've learned is one of the things they feel is they feel ugly. And there was a time in my life I felt that way about myself because a person in my life wanted to hurt me all the time. And it made me feel, it's weird. Instead of making me feel bad about them, it made me feel bad about who? It made me feel bad about me. Life can really beat you up, right? People can mistreat you. People can abuse you. People can take advantage of you. And what is weird is that the trauma response that comes in us is that we begin to hate ourselves. We begin to think how ugly we are. We begin to think how yucky we are, how gross we are. And then we start kind of not caring and we kind of want to be because we feel that we are. My wife will tell you the first time she saw me after not seeing me for eight years, I was pretty pitiful. I didn't know how pitiful I was and I thought the look that she gave me was because she, she liked me, but she kind of was, she was like, oh, <laughs> oh, poor little Marky. Look, he's wearing a big coat and a big shirt and 14 layers of clothes and he's hiding underneath it and he's, he's feeling kind of rough. See, that's not the mark she knew when I was a kid. But life had roughed me up and I felt really, really, really ugly. Do you know God loves you and he thinks you're beautiful? You might go, well, I don't. Well, he does. He loves you when he looks into the front door of our church and he sees his children, which is you. God smiles with delight and looking in our church is like looking in his front door. Amen. Isn't that kind of a beautiful picture? Psalm 147 has an inspired heading or it has no inspired heading as do none of the last five psalms and this is the second of the five hallelujah psalms that put an exclamation point on the songbook of god i will tell you that preaching through the book of psalms is a long uh process and what's weird is I'm, i i finished my book now i'm finishing the book of psalms like it's weird because in my book, Sister Joy, he's finishing something important and at the end of it, he knows he's going to die. And so I've been like really thinking about my life a lot. Like, is this it? Am I going to finish the book of Psalms and that's it? You know, the truck's going to run me over and it's going to be the end of me. I, I, I told my wife, I'm like, you know, here's where my book is. You know, if anything happens, you know, it can still be published, you know, like because I'm sort of identifying with this man who's dying as he's writing a book. But this second of the Hallelujah Psalms, it puts an exclamation point on the, the, the book of Psalms. It's these five songs are God's grand finale. 
Boom, boom, boom. Kind of like the Independence Day fireworks, like Tchaikovsky's 1812 Overture, which debuted in the summer of 1882 under a tent in Moscow next to the completed Cathedral of Christ the Savior Church, commemorating the successful defense of Russia from Napoleon's invasion. I don't know if you've heard that song. We, uh, as a family, God did something really cool for us. We wanted to go to Washington, D.C., and we took our kids uh, several years ago. And in the middle of the night, Andrea was really sick. And, and I was like, I want my kids to see the Capitol, Jason, at nighttime, you know, like with the lights on the Washington Monument and, the, you know, the Jefferson and Memorial, the Lincoln, you know, all that. And so we drove down there. And just so happens, Sister Jackie, there was a Navy band. And we're walking out, and you know what the Navy band is playing? And we're like, oh, wow. You guys know the song? You know, and they're playing it, you know. And, and what's funny is just 15 minutes of raucous exultation. It's known best for its climactic volley, which who would have thought a musician would include real cannon fire? in the song you know powerfully struck ringing chimes pong pong brass fanfare finale which is nearly deafening in a of symbols you know that's what the hallelujah psalms are they are the 1812 overture of the book of Psalms. These last five Psalms of the Psalter 146 through 50 are often called the great hallelujah chorus. Every song in this group of five begins and ends with the exclamatory praise ye the Lord or in Hebrew I taught you guys this last week. What is that in Hebrew? What is praise ye the Lord in Hebrew? Oh now come on. Can I, can I get one that sounds like it belongs here in the, in this, come on and get a, Hallelujah. oh wow, there's people here. All right. Hallelujah. You might go, well, you didn't grow up in that kind of church. Well, I can tell you right now, they had this kind of church here. God is smiling. He is tuning in today. He is peering at our praises, which he finds beautiful. I don't know why he finds us beautiful, but he does. Hallelujah. This one word praise of the Lord is found 22 times in total in the book of Psalms. One for every Hebrew letter reminding us that we were given speech for the purpose of praise. We're not given an author to this or any of the last of these five explosive anthems of thanksgiving and faith, but the context is quite clear and it never changes. Some psalms were written for certain occasions and this was written for all times. It is always time to praise the Lord. No matter what changes around us, blessed be the name of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Give thanks in all things for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. As Paul tells the Philippians, you might say, I don't feel like praising God. I'll tell you what. Here's the deal. Sometimes it's the only way out of the dark place that you are. Right. God gives us this picture 
Paul and Silas are thrown in jail. They're in a dark place in Philippi. And what are they doing? It said, but in the nighttime they sang praises to God. And I really think that God did this for this very reason, to show us what praise can do for us. Instead of being, they, they had every reason to be sad. They'd been beaten. They had every reason to be bummed out. They were uh, uh, illegally put in there. They were Roman, you know, Paul's a Roman citizen. You don't just throw a Roman citizen in a jail and lock him up. You, he gets a trial. And they had done it unjustly, illegally. He could have been complaining. He could have been getting out case law. But what did he do, Sister Joy? It says he sang praises to God insomuch that the entire prison heard him and God looked into the darkness of that prison and he began to smile and he began to say if, if he does talk to the angels this way he began to look at them and go do you see what I see <laughs> isn't that gorgeous look at him he's bleeding down his back look at him he's got chains holding his hands but he knows that he's the prisoner of the Lord and not the prisoner he knows that he was called to Macedonia he knows that God had sent him there for the purpose of bringing the gospel to the people and even though he's chained and even though he's bleeding and even though he's having a hard time he's not complaining and moaning and crying and whining he's singing and so God is like oh yeah and the earth begins to quake and the prison bursts open and Paul and Silas know and have confidence in God so much that they don't even run from the jail. I can tell you right now, Michael, if, it, if, it, if I was in jail and it broke open, I would run for my life. You know, he said, hey, don't worry about it, jailer. Don't worry about it. We're all here. I'm not leaving. He realized God had sent him to that man. You see, your circumstances may, you may think they have you locked up. You may see no way out, but you belong to the Lord. You are his beautiful possession. And in the middle of your circumstance, you should sing praises to God. You might go, well, I don't really feel like it. Praise is a beautiful thing. It's a way out of your prison. Verse 1, hallelujah! Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God, for it is pleasant, and praise is comely. I know that's a, not a word we use too often today, you know. Jonathan meets a, a girl down at the coffee house. He doesn't say, you're very comely, right? Do you, do you ever say, is that one of your pickup lines, Jonathan? No, it is, okay. Maybe that's an, ex, maybe that's an explanation, but... But comely is not a word we use, right? But we'll get to its meaning here in a minute. We should praise the Lord because it is good to praise the Lord. It's good for us and for the whole world when we praise Him. The Hebrew word for good here at the beginning is tob, T-O-B, tob, which means beautiful, fair, and good-looking. Now... I want to ask you a question. Do you want to do something or be something beautiful, one of God's fair ones? Anybody want to be that? My mic is on. Oh, I knocked it off. Oh. Ooh, ooh. All right. That's when you know you're getting serious. You're knocking your microphone off. All right. 
I thought Tim was saying he wanted to be someone beautiful for the Lord. He was back there waving his hand. I'm like, I'm like, praise God. He's anticipating my question. I haven't even asked it yet. So I'm asking you, do you want to be something beautiful? One of God's fair ones. If so, you should sing. You should praise God with the music of a thankful heart. And you should be an instrument of praise for God. God is not listening for your tonal quality. He's not looking at your outfit. He's not checking your hairdo. God is listening for your praise. We often say that we don't know what to say when we are trying to bring others to the Lord. You might not think of it this way, but you might you say, hey, you know, I, I don't really want to argue with you, but I, I'm hanging out with you. I just want you to know, you know, the Lord is good. You see, praise is a great, great testimony tool. You go, well, I don't know how to convince somebody. I don't know how to tell them what they got to do. I say, you don't need to. You can just say, you know, the Lord is so good. He's so kind. He's amazing. He's beautiful. You know, you know, uh, this was going on in my life. And and um, was it Rebecca was telling me about God and these little rain boots? Yeah. Rebecca was telling me she's a little she's a little girl. And what was her story, honey? I, I wasn't quite understanding what you were saying. I sent you to go somewhere and do something. And you were and the Lord was talking to you when you remember when you were a little kid. Right. God cares about your little rain boots. Right. Sorry, I can't remember the whole thing. But God looks at us. He sees us where we are. He, he delights in us. When we talk to other people, we don't have to try to convince them. Oh, you know, I know that let me prove the fossil record or uh, let me explain to you what it's really like. Or, or let me give you a list of all the reasons why, you know. You may not be smart enough to even do that, but I'll tell you what everybody can do. You can say, well, hey, <laughs> kind of like the blind man. Remember him? They come to him. and They're like, uh, we need to understand exactly what happened here. What does he say? He says, hey, I, I don't really know. All I know is that once I was blind and now I see. Right. He's like, hey, I, I'm not I'm not a genius. I'm not important. I, I don't, I'm not a theologian. I don't have all the books. I don't even know all the books that are in the Bible. I, I don't even know. But let me just tell you what, God has loved me with an everlasting love. He's forgiven me. His mercies are new. You know, I'm, I've messed up over and over and over and God keeps loving me. He keeps showing me kindness. Look what he gave me. He gave me these friends and he gave me this church. And, and you'd be surprised. How, that's, that's praising God. You're talking about the good things God is to you and he's been in your life. Anybody can do that, right? Hasn't God been good to you? Has he been good to you? You can always tell somebody about that. It will not be an intellectual argument or some checkmate from reason. It will come from the beauty of our testimony. Telling people what God has done for you is praise. You may have never met someone, but you've heard a lot of people talk about them. And, and doing so can make people anxious to meet them. And another thing it does is it actually makes us beautiful when we praise the Lord. Complaint disfigures our countenance. It contorts our visage but praise beautifies the meek as the scripture tells us in Psalm 149 it is good for us and good for our mission 
And it makes those who may have been ugly and obtrusive, it makes them, it makes them fair. So I'll ask you again, do you want to be beautiful? Come on, if you want to be beautiful. Do you want people to want to be with you, to look at you, to touch you? Don't you want to be loved? You know, loving the Lord out loud in words and music makes you, makes you lovely. You might go, well, I have a different personality or culturally I'm a little bit different. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what transcends everything. And it's one of the reasons that I fall deeply in love with the people in, uh, in Myanmar. There is one thing that is absolutely true about them. They, they, they could complain all day long. And instead they smile and they talk about the goodness of God. They talk about his kindness. I mean, villages are burning. People are starving. They have no money. They, they got a lot to complain about. Oh, we don't know about the status of our government and what's going to happen next. You know, I never get any emails from Pastor Nang that say that. Oh, you know, we don't know what's going to happen next. And, and, and I don't know if my house is going to get blown up. You know what he says? Pastor Mark, I see the people with no house and I have a house. Pastor Mark, will you pray that God will help me to build a house for them? Kind of makes me feel stupid about my complaints. Pastor Mark, there's the little babies and, 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 the, and, and the little babies, they, they have nowhere to go. Can we take these little ones in? Will you help me to care for these little ones? How about, can you help me care for me? Pastor Nang never asks for things for himself, hardly ever. Sometimes he does ask for things for his children. Sometimes I tell him no. <laughs> but the deal is, is that his, his life is about praising the Lord. Oh, the Lord is good. Sometimes he, I get worried. I get uptight. And you know what he does to me? He praises the Lord to me. And his note, the God who has everything, he will provide what we need. Psalm 149 says, God beautifies the meek with salvation. He will make you beautiful. Do you feel ugly today? God can make you beautiful. Praise ye the Lord for it is good. Everybody say it is good to sing praises to our God for it is pleasant. The word pleasant here in Hebrew is naim, which means pleasant, delightful, translated in the NASB several different times as these words, lovely, pleasant, pleasures once again we see the theme of beauty loveliness and even pleasure associated with this word looking at something beautiful brings great pleasure to us I remember and I've mentioned this several times but it's the only time I've really had this experience I mean I guess I had a, I think it maybe goes without saying when I saw Nathaniel my firstborn child, and, and I saw him, there were tears in my eyes, and they weren't tears of sadness. It was like, wow. But it wasn't because he was so beautiful. It was kind of the moment was beautiful, like God had given me a child, you know. That's why, he, well, his nickname became Stinky, you know. That, that, that's a whole other sermon. But there was another time in my life when I saw, I was in the Lake District, and we had just left this beautiful place, Lake District of England, and I remember just seeing the green and the, the stone walls and the sheep and the, I, I can't explain it, but literally tears just started pouring out my eyes. I was just like, 
Now that's beautiful. I, I was near Beatrix Potter's house in that same area and I got to a certain point and I almost got out of the car and just let it just keep going. I was like, <gasps> and you might go, is there any place beautiful like that? Honey, is it really beautiful like that? Yes, it, it is. I know why she made little drawings and wrote books because she was living in a world even more beautiful than she captured. The colorful blooms, the lush green grass, the stark white sheep, the shimmering streams. Uh, they were rapturesque. I've seen many sights in the world that I would call breathtaking. And, and that's what we say. We use the term breathtaking, right? Why do we do that? Because you look at it and you go like this. You go, <gasps> and then you go, wow. Anybody ever see the Grand Canyon or, you know, you see this, you know, waterfall and you're just like, wow breathtaking right it's pleasure it's it it brings that to you what is that about it's amazing to me that God has given us like every you know all these different tastes in fact I that reminds me I got to figure this out somebody um, somebody said the greatest fruit in the world they named it and I've never had it so I, I remind me to figure that out because I got to taste that but what's amazing to me is you can taste all the different tastes and there's one more and it's greater. And like God did not have to do that. Food did not have to have any taste. Everything could look the same, but it doesn't. There's colors and then there's in between colors and then there's, you know, whatever. God does these things. God is an artist of magnificent wonder and beauty. And the Bible says he looks at us. He's, I mean, God made the Himalayas, you know, but it doesn't say he looks at them and thinks they're beautiful. The Bible says he looks at you when you praise him and he thinks you're beautiful. Great pleasure awaits for us in beauty. We bring pleasure to God. And for me, honestly, as it says in Psalm 149.4, it says, God takes pleasure in his people. So he does. Tim and I were up here talking about, we're like, how, how is that possible? How could we even do that? We don't have to understand it, Jason, but we just know it's true, right? Praise you the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant. See, we've got, now we've been done two things that are kind of similar. And then it says, and praise is comely. Everybody say, praise is comely. Comely is from the Hebrew word nava. Comely, seemly, becoming, fitting, lovely. This word is used several times in the Bible and it's used uh, one, two, three, four, several times in the book of the Song of Solomon. He says, I am black, but I am comely. This is, a, this is this wife of Solomon. She's, she's beautiful. Song of Solomon 2. He's talking about his beautiful wife and he says, she is sweet and your form, your, your body is beautiful. You might go, I'm getting feeling a little uncomfortable here. I'm trying to explain to you that this is what we're talking about, we're talking about beauty. In fact, on my phone, when I say, 
hey Siri, call my wife, you know what I say? Call Beauty. That's what I call her. Why? That's what she is. She's the most amazing and most lovely and beautiful thing in the whole world to me. Song of Solomon chapter 4. Your mouth is lovely. It is comely. Your lips. You go, oh, I'm starting to get uncomfortable. What I'm saying is that God loves us. He takes pleasure in us, in, in seeing us, in hearing us, in, in seeing us do something very in particular. Praise Him. Song of Solomon chapter 6. My darling... My lovey, you know, lovely as Jerusalem. You see, God's love and the beauty of Jerusalem was not that it was situated as it is. I've been to Jerusalem. Jerusalem isn't beautiful like that. It's not. I've been to a lot of places a lot more beautiful than that. You're not going to go there and go, no, now I know why God was so impressed by Jerusalem. No, you won't. It is beautiful, okay? But that's not it. It was beautiful because they were His people. God was on His front porch doing what? He was looking in at His people. He loved them because they were His. When you look at the kid with the shoes on wrong and, 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 and you look at, you know, all these, you know, you're like, well, yeah, but th those are my babies, right? And that's what God loves about us. We belong to him. You see how these three Hebrew words used in one verse amplify the message of the whole psalm, making clear its message, good, pleasant, comely, a triune expression about you and I and how God sees our praise. Yes, the God who is holy, holy, holy finds you lovely, lovely, lovely. He finds your praise beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Everybody say hallelujah. Benjamin mentioned this scripture, so I looked it up and put it in my sermon today. Zephaniah chapter 3. The Lord God is in the midst of thee. He is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. And he will rest in his love. And he will joy over thee with singing. Do you know that you, you make God sing? Marion was telling me he's writing a song, right? He's working, he's writing stuff. And there are things that, we, that make us sing. Some things can be rough things that make us sing, but there are things that make us sing for joy. They make us sing for beauty. You guys know the great, uh, there, there probably can't be a better musical for this than the hills are alive with the sound of music, right? She's seeing it all. And what she's seeing is that there is a musicalness. There is a gloriousness. There is beauty because those hills belong to God. Now in verse 2, the singer begins to praise the Lord. He doesn't waste any time. He says, praise is beautiful. It's comely. It's amazing. It brings God pleasure. He delights in it. He finds it beautiful. He finds you beautiful. And so what does he do? He just starts praising God. In verse 1, he explained how God sees our praise. And here he leads us in how to praise the Lord. 
We all will praise God in our own unique way. We each have our own story of redemption and mercy. The psalmist is a Jew, one of the children of Israel. And at this time, his temple is the city of God at Mount Zion. There in the temple, the people of God and the priests make their offerings to God. There he meets them in the holy place among the golden lampstand, the table of showbread and the altar of incense. And in the holy of holies, he meets them uh, on the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant where the golden angels' wings come together. Verse 2, the Lord doth build up Jerusalem. He gathered together the outcasts of Israel. If I was going to talk about something beautiful, I don't think I would throw outcasts in there anywhere at all, Elizabeth. But do you know God finds his outcasts beautiful? You feel like an outcast. You feel like an outsider. You feel like you got nowhere. You feel like your life is, you know. God says, I've gathered my outcasts together and I've made a beautiful city out of them. And when they come together and when they sing my praises, there's nothing I like more than to see them. These outcasts who were outcasts are no outcasts no more. There are no orphans in the kingdom. Amen. Everybody has a home. The Bible says he takes the solitary and he puts them into families. Here the psalmist comes to God in humility, being thankful for what God has given them in the city of Jerusalem and in the nation of Israel. He's describing them as outcasts. The meaning here gives us a bit of a hint as to when it was written. The term outcast is used in Isaiah 11, verse 12, and in Isaiah 56, 8, prophetically describing those God brought back from Babylon and all over the world that were scattered during the time of captivity. It also speaks to us today who find ourselves outcasts of the world. The Bible says we are strangers in this world. We are outcasts, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and with the household of God. And then those of us who were not a people are now the people of God. The parable of the great banquet, which was written uh, for that was written in the time of Christ. Jesus spoke of the parable of the great banquet and we had it today in our reading from Luke chapter 14. It says in verse 15, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom. And Jesus re replied and he began to tell a story. A certain man was preparing a banquet. He invited many guests and if you recall, they didn't come. The Bible tells us that there are many people we come and we say, hey, you need to come. You need to come. You need to come. And you know what they say? Oh, I don't need you. I don't need the church. I don't want to go. I don't want to be a part of that. I got a happy life living the life that I want to live. I'm doing good. I don't want to be there. I'm busy. I bought some land. I, I did this. I did that. And so what does God say happens? He said, oh, come now eat. It's ready. And they're like, well, the, the, there's no one here to eat it. Then the owner of the house became angry. Verse 21, he ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys and the towns and bring in the poor, bring in the cripple, bring in the blind, bring in the lame. 
He said, sir, what you have ordered has been done, but there is even still more room left. And the master told a servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes, compel them to come in that my house might be full. Drag them in here if you got to. Do you know this is the message for us? We're going to be dragging in some people. Maureen, you want to help us drag a few people in? How about you, Billy? You want to help us drag a few people in? People, they don't know that they need to come to the feast, but they need to come in. We need to be here. We need to be here worshiping the Lord, lifting up the name of the Lord. We can march to the world's orders. We can live by the, the construct of the social media and the social order. And we can try to find happiness in a rat race and in a, a big you know, rolling wheel that a hamster runs on. And we can find emptiness and we can find unhappiness. And we can do that if we want to. Or we can check out of the rat race and into the kingdom of God. This is us. We are the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, invited to the feast. It is us who came and compelled us and drug us in and said, come on, come on. There's good food to eat. It's our calling to go out into the highways and byways to compel others who need the Lord like we have and fill the house. The good life that God has given us is a gift that we can share and we must share. There's plenty of food and room for all those who will come. Verse 3, he heals the brokenhearted. He binds up the wounds. I'll ask you today, has your heart been broken? Have you been wounded? You might say, I'm wounded. I'm like sitting here. I'm like an open wound. I'm like bleeding. My life is a mess. Guess what, guys? You are here in the presence of the healer of hearts, of broken hearts. Luke chapter 4, when Jesus began his ministry in Nazareth, he came into the synagogue and he stood up and he began reading this in verse 4, Luke 4, 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Are you poor? He said that he came, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Are you brokenhearted? He came to preach deliverance to the captives. Are you enslaved in a lifestyle? Are you enslaved by addiction? Are you enslaved? in your own trauma and in your life God can bring you out the recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord and he closed the book Jesus is the heart mender the healer of our wounds he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities that we might be whole as we come to verse 4, it says he tells the number of the stars and he calls them all by name. This is what he's doing. He's just praising God. Do you see what he's doing? You might say, I don't have anything to say. Well, you know, hey, you might be outside and someone's out and say, see all that? See them stars up here? <laughs> God named every one of those. You might say, you may, you may have found they said there's infinite amount and they don't know how many. Oh, I know someone who knows how many there are. He knows them. It says, Job 38, 7, God was there when the morning stars sang together. They sang his praises and the sons of God shouted for joy. Job 38, 7. The psalmist continues his pure praise about the goodness of God and the greatness of God. In verse 5, great is the Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. You don't have to talk about what you know. I think we oftentimes get impressed by how smart people are. Let me tell you what, some people are smart, but they don't compare to the infinite wisdom of God. He's all-powerful and all-knowing. Verse 6, the Lord lift up the meek. He cast the wicked to the ground. 
When it says he lifts up the meek, he's not talking about those who come and, and act meek. No, he's talking about actual. They're just the, the lowest of the low. The people that are at the bottom, the people that nobody cares about. You know what God does? God lifts up the meek and what he's going to do to the wicked who have put themselves over people that have hurt people, that have abused people, that have taken advantage of people. You know what God's going to do? He's going to cast them down to the ground. Folks, we can praise God for this. Are you a nobody? Are you poor? Are you unimportant? Good news, the Lord will lift you up. Wicked be warned, God will make things right. He is just. Can I get a hallelujah? That's good news, folks. I'm going to tell you that right now. Verse 7. Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praise upon the harp unto our God. Use your voice to sing praises and thanksgiving for your many blessings. And use instruments. I love it that we had a bass guitar and an electric guitar and a box drum and a synthesizer and a piano and voices. I loved it. They were here Thursday night making music and singing and making praises. They were here Wednesday night singing and making music and making praises to the Lord, practicing so that we can enter into a place of worship together where more of us get to participate. Verse 8, who covers the heavens with clouds, who prepares rain for the earth, who makes grass to grow upon the mountains. Anybody ever seen grass growing? Anybody ever seen rain? Anybody ever been in a place where the, the ground is so brown and all of a sudden God sends the rain and everything begins to green up? Anybody ever seen the winter when everything seems dead and the spring comes and the flowers begin to bloom and life begins to happen all around us? It's God that makes that happen. And as we see it, we should see that the movement of God in the world to make things beautiful, we should say, yes, I might be living in the winter of my life right now. I might be in a place where my grass is dry and I feel like I'm dying. But let me tell you, it's God that sends the rain. God brings life. He's the giver of life. He is the source of all beauty. Verse 9, he gives the beast food and the young ravens which cry. The source of food. I could go on and on and it would probably be funny to you how much I like food. But I do. I love marinated chicken. I'm mad that Billy said he was going to send a plate over to me last night. And there was nothing left. Your food in there? I heard that he made homemade garlic bread. Someone said he grated butter with a grater. Billy, that ain't right. He froze it in the freezer so that he could grate it. But I did not get any of that food. I heard it was a great salad. I heard there was, uh, I saw the veggie tree. Yeah. I love it. I love it all. I love, the, I love ripe tomatoes. And when I eat a ripe tomato, a, a real one, not one that's been, you know, made somewhere, it's like made of plastic and then, you know, been in some crate for like three months. No, I'm talking about like a tomato that's like right off the vine and you're just like, you know, letting it run all over your face. And you're like, Ugh. folks, that's when we say, thanks be to God that gives us food. He gives the, even the beast food, the, the ravens which cry out for food. He gives it to them. He delights not in the strength of horses. He does not take pleasure in, in the legs of men. Now, he's not saying he's, you know, he doesn't like, leg. he's saying that God does not look at them and he's not impressed. Like, wow. Like, you know, uh, he, man is just so amazing. He can't know. God does not look at our strength. He doesn't go to the, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger classic and, and see the guys, you know, going like, you know, like this, Val. 
He doesn't, he doesn't go there and go, wow, look at Arnold Schwarzenegger. Look at, look, at, look at these muscles, you know. God doesn't do that. God looks at us and he hears us singing and praising and God thinks that's beautiful. He's not a, he doesn't look at men and, and go, oh, look at that powerful thing. Look at that. Oh, wow, look at the A1 Abrams tank. Wow, look at that. God just flick one of those off there. We look at it. We like, look, you know, at that, that I don't know what the name of that gun is, but he's, you know, and the, and the, you know, wow, we look at that. God's like, yeah, right. No big deal. I got that. The Ark of the Covenant went forth. His lightnings came and, you know, thousands were, you know, wiped out by the angel of the Lord. He doesn't delight in the strength of the horse and the chariots. He doesn't take pleasure in the legs of men. What does he take pleasure in? Verse 11, the Lord takes pleasure in them that fear him and those that hope in mercy. Do you fear the Lord today? Do you hope in mercy? You know what? You're beautiful. God thinks you're beautiful. He's delighting in you. You might go, well, I don't feel that way. You should understand that how you feel isn't really all that. You might go, you know, imagine if you had all the money in the world in the bank and you felt poor. I'd, I, I'd be like, well, you know, I can't really help you with that. Just if you went down to the ATM, you know, and checked your balance, you might find out that, that you really ain't got a lot to be sad about. Yeah. No, that's us. We don't understand who we are. We don't understand what God has done. We don't understand. And we don't understand how he sees us. And so we go around looking at ourselves through, the, through, the, through our own eyes. Oh, look how bad we are. Look how life is mistreating me. Look what we can do. You can live like that if you want to. Or you can turn away from that and say, the Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. He loves me. He thinks I'm beautiful. And I don't care what anybody thinks. If he thinks I'm beautiful, I think that's all I care about. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. When we whistle a tune of praise, when we write a song, when we hymn a tune, when we hum a tune, when we write or recite a poem to honor his majesty and greatness. He loves our praise. Everybody say hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Everybody say hallelujah. Praise is beautiful and he delights in those who praise him. Our only hope is in his mercy. Men will not take pity upon us. They strive for themselves and their positions and power and wealth. The things that will soon pass away. But you will, you will not perish. You will join the happy chorus of heaven. And you might as well tune up and get ready for an eternity of praising him. The Bible says that this life is a few days and it's full of trouble. But this is not the sum total of our lives. It is not all that we are about. We believe in a God of heaven who one day there will be no end to our praising him. Hallelujah. Praise is beautiful. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise thy God, O Zion. They were God's particular people. And I say, praise him, all ye people, for you are not a people. And now you are the people of God. You have been adopted into his holy family. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise is beautiful. You are beautiful to the Lord. That is something to rejoice about. Verse 13, he strengthened the bars and the gates, and he has blessed thy children within thee. Praise him for he has protected our children and we are safe within the tower of his refuge. Verse 14, he makes peace in thy borders. He fills thee with the finest of wheat. He is the prince of peace. Do you want the peace that passes understanding to fill your hearts and minds? He doesn't just 
give us enough to keep us alive. He gives us the finest things, the best things. You know, we would settle for the trash that we think is good. And God says, oh, no, I got something better for you. I've got something more amazing for you. Some of you understand this on some level. You know that they can make whatever and they make it in the stores and they make this, this you know, processed kinds of food and they're like, oh, this is good, this is good. And what do you know? Some people that know more about food, they know this is not good. It's not good. It's not good. God says, oh, I got something that, that is better, that tastes better, that make you feel better. That's, God gives us the finest things. He sends forth his commandment upon the earth. His word runs very swiftly. God's word will always accomplish what it says. It will not return to him void. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise is beautiful. He gives snow like wool. He scatters the hoarfrost like ashes. How many of you love the snow? <laughs> I do. I do. The beautiful white blanket he covers the earth with. I love the way he does it. The slow falling snowflakes that muffle the sound of the modern world and create a quiet place with God. When you have, I have like a constant ringing. I don't know, maybe I haven't shared that, but I have a constant like sound uh, that goes on. And when something is going on like rain uh, or the sound of water, it, it makes me feel peaceful because I can't hear, I can't hear that sound anymore. The glory of frost upon the ground that glitters with the morning sun. What, what does he do? He's just praising God for what he likes that God has given. That's all praise is. You might go, I thank the Lord for connecting chairs that are like a pew within our church that are comfortable for my children to sit upon. <laughs> praise is realizing that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Oh, Lord, you're so good. We have these big boards up in our church and, and, and we can even use them for, you know, movie night and we can use them for working out and we can use them for fun and, and games and, and beauty and we can see a beautiful picture. We never, we couldn't do that before. Oh, Lord, thank you for that. Do you understand? Praise is understanding that what we have comes from God. The glory of the frost upon the ground that glitters with the morning sun. He is the beautiful artist of winter as he turns the mundane world into a wonderland. Do you wonder at it when he does it? I sure do. Praise the Lord. Praise is beautiful. Praise him when you see the windblown wonder of winter. When you taste the icicles or see the branches through the window panes of the frozen waters that make every plant a spectacle. Praise him. Verse 17, he casts forth ice like morsels. You ever catch a snowflake on your tongue? Toby has, right? Who can stand before his cold? What a wonderful God and glorious in the middle of a heat wave. Large balls of ice fall from the sky and hail to show us that he is Lord of the hot and the cold. Antarctica, the greatest forest Standing in the permafrost reminds us of his wonder. Praise him. He sends out his word. He melteth 
them. He causes the wind to blow as the waters flow. He makes the ice melt and turn the ground into rivers and streams of life that fills the pools of the earth that quench the thirst of the trees that stand ready even to give us water when it doesn't rain for months and even years. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm sure the people in Mauritania, when they find water, they're saying, oh, thanks be to God. And you look around and, and you see nothing but desert and dryness and they dig a hole and there's water. And you're like, where did that come from? It comes from the storehouse of God. Verse 19, he shows his word unto Jacob, his statutes to the judgment of Israel. Psalm 19, as we know, and we quote often here, the heavens declare the glory of God. The wonders of the earth show his handiwork. But as true as that is, there is something even more amazing and beautiful to us than that. It is God's word. We can praise him for his word. He shows his people his word. He has given it to us and it does not change. He has preserved it for thousands of years from generation upon generation. For the law of the Lord is perfect. Everybody say the law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. We come to the very last verse of this cataclysmic psalm. Verse 12, he has not dealt with so with any nation. And as far as his judgments, they have not known them. Praise ye the Lord. The psalmist was calling out the special relationship their nation had with God. And here for us, we see that we are God's special people. Do you understand that? Paul addressed the Ephesians. You are the elect according to the foreknowledge of God. God had chosen you in him before the foundation of the world that you would be holy and without blemish before him in love. Here for us, we see that we are God's special people. Those of us who know him know very well the specialness of his care for us, his mercy to us, and his beauty. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise is beautiful. The Lord is beautiful and he is here to beautify not only the world, but to beautify you today. He made you and he has been with you throughout your whole life, keeping you for this very day. It has been a long journey to get here today, to be sitting in this sanctuary with us today, but don't look back. Lift up your voices in praise today. You are special and beautiful to God. He finds your praise delightful and somehow it gives him great pleasure. Know that he loves you and he loves me and he's taking pleasure in us today. And can we just say it together? Can we say hallelujah, praise ye the Lord? Can we do it? Hallelujah, praise ye the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we thank you for your word. The world tries to tell us what is beautiful, but what they offer is a gross substitute it is plastic it is fading it is false but Lord what you offer is real and deep and beautiful and Lord what we even think of ourselves is skewed by our sinfulness and we pray today that we would begin to see through your eyes 
how beautiful we are to you. Lord, as we sing, create in me a clean heart. Lord, we sing our praise to you. I just pray that everyone here would examine their hearts for a moment and begin to, with this new realization of how beautiful each of us, each of us are, that we would take a moment to give thanks that you have called us beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us today. I pray your time with us was very encouraging. If it was, consider sending us a note and also consider partnering with us.